0: I don't know what your favorite thing to do was in high school. That may have been a long time ago, maybe a little recent. Well, A couple of things that I enjoyed doing. This is not my favorite, but I enjoyed doing these two things. I enjoyed shopping at thrift stores for crazy t shirts. And I, I'm going to bring one in because I think I still actually have a few of these. Um, I had one that said Connecticut Special Olympics. <laughs> and I wore it to school all the time. And people ended up, did you? participate, or what? what is that, <laughs> did you volunteer? So I just wore it, it's a question in people's minds. Um, and I had some ideas, but where we would go would be, uh, there's several places, you know, good old Goodwill, whatever, uh, but one place is the best was the Salvation Army, Salvation Army Thrift Store. Now I love the Salvation Army, that was the best place, it was right down the street where I grew up in uh, Lilburn, Stone Mountain, Atlanta area, and so we go to the Salvation Army, me and my buddies, but here's another thing, I love playing basketball. You may not have known that, but you may have. So I love playing basketball, I wasn't good enough to really uh, play at the high school level, uh, just wasn't there, you know, a little slow, not quite as athletic as I needed to be, but I love playing anyway, so we, I got a bunch of my buddies who are football players, and we played in an inner-city Atlanta league uh, off in of North Druid Hills, there was a Salvation Army. And we played at, at a gym, and we played there, and our junior year, we got beat up, beat down, and we went to watch the finals. We were not in it, and uh, we saw a fight, and we were like, dude, this is insane. Like, coaches are punching each other. It was intense. <laughs> it was like, okay. Uh, next year, we did much better because we actually recruited some people. Uh, actually, a future Major League Baseball player we recruited on our team. So it was, it was good. We did better that year. But the Salvation Army, I, I was just thinking about this. It's an interesting organization, and David has some connection to the Salvation Army. David grew up in the summer, So if I'm saying things that are actually incorrect, just bite your tongue. Oh, All right, so if this is not actually true. Um, like every Sunday. If, thank you, thank you. You guys are so gracious. I love you so much. Um, yeah, I love you guys. You're awesome. Um, and if you want to follow along, we have notes here. We'll get to them eventually, I do hope. Um, but the Salvation Army, if you're not familiar with the Salvation Army, My experience with them at that point, and I didn't know a lot about them, was thrift stores and basketball. That's Salvation Army. And I always wondered, like, what's Salvation have to do with me shooting the three, or like buying a t-shirt that says Special Olympics on it? I don't quite get that. But if you did some study, and I did this when I went to to, uh, school and started studying church history, um, that the Salvation Army was actually a very dynamic um, movement in England. It started by a guy named William Booth. He married a woman named Catherine, and they kind of worked together, and this family thing going on. Um, And William was a Methodist minister who had a calling to evangelize on his life he wanted to go and reach the poor and the downtrodden and those in england that were being left aside by the anglican church that was so uppity up and that was the official church and so he wanted to get down there with the masses and the methodist church at one time that was their that was their big thing so he was part of this organization but they kept putting him into local churches like hey william you gotta go over here and, and kind of be the pastor of this congregation and he's like ah, i just can't this is not me and so he he did that for a little bit, but he just kind of broke out from that, and he wanted to do his own thing. And so he started just doing what he could to, to bring the, the gospel, the message of salvation of Jesus, to the, the poor downtrodden, the hurting of of England. And so he would hold tent crusades. He would uh, do outreach sort of things. And, and it was this innovative type of thing at that time, and he got a lot of flack from the establishment and all of that. So he, he caught a lot of flack. It was challenging. It was difficult. But he ended up starting something called the Salvation Army. And this was kind of a uh, an interesting way that it got called the Salvation Army. I mean, one time, it, the story goes, he was talking with, uh, or writing even a letter with uh, correspondence, and he put basically, we need this volunteer army to pull this off. Like, this is a big event. I mean, this is uh, this big than Christ Central. <laughs> this is huge. So, I mean, this is a volunteer army that's that's, uh, you know, taking place here. And so somebody said, yeah, it's actually a salvation army. And so it kind of stuck. And, then, and this, this metaphor of army uh, kind of kind of went with them. And so I want you to look at it. In light of this sermon series that we're in, we're talking about, uh, that's just how MVP, for lack of a better name, it's just an acronym for mission, vision, and plan. So we talked about last week the mission. And the mission is not our mission. It's God's mission. God's mission, and and how you, you link into that is to look at the story. What is the story that's going on? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. In this story, God is redeeming fallen humanity and a fallen creation, and he's bringing it ultimately to restoration. That's what God's up to. So in that, God is elevating his glory. He's renewing relationships with people. He's bringing peace that was broken. He's trying to restore the peace of the world and in our lives. And that is found as we we find relationship with God and with others, and so this is what William Booth was doing. He was fulfilling the mission of God in that time, reaching those that are broken, and, and this is a powerful thing. And he was bringing the message of salvation. He was an evangelist. Um, but interestingly, if you look at the Salvation Army, they started this, so they called it Salvation Army. And they said, you know what? We got a general. We're gonna be General Booth, right? But we'll be an army. It's like if you're in the Royal Rangers. We did that, and they, you know, got it all. Up. Spelled out, it's a little thing. So the mission is there, but then the vision of how they were gonna accomplish the mission was we're gonna we're going set it up like an army. All right, so that's, that's what we're talking about. Vision is something, how do we see ourselves doing this? They said, well, we're gonna have generals, you're gonna be an officer, we're gonna have uniforms, we're gonna do little songs and stuff, we're gonna play a band. So they set it all up that way. That is something that they came up with that was their methodology of accomplishing God's mission. That's a vision. How are we gonna do this? What's it gonna look like for us? That's what they did. And so over time, that's what they did. And here's the interesting thing about, um, about vision. Often people latch on more tightly to the vision than the mission. So I remember, I don't know where, the, if this was in Central, I think it was a guy who used to go to Central, back in the day, I think when I first was a part of Central Assembly of God, there's a guy, and only Mike would probably know him but he came in, he's a military guy, infantry guy. And he first thing he ever said to me, I'm 22 years old, just graduated Southeastern. He was like, I believe in Royal Rangers. <laughs> <Okay>. What? <laughs> Hi, I'm Sheldon. I believe in Royal Rangers. Like, Royal Rangers, you probably don't even know. That's just a that's a program within the Assemblies of God, which is like Boy Scouts. But it had a good purpose, and it may still, in certain context, to help people eventually be discipled and grow, all this stuff. But that's just a vision. That's not the mission. But a lot of people latch on to the vision, and that becomes the mission. So it becomes Royal Rangers. That's what it's all about. Live or die. If we don't do Royal Rangers, I'm out. Because I'm all about Royal Rangers. You know? And so, even with, with, with the Salvation Army, and, and I'm not trying to bust on them, but I'm just telling them my experience with them, Whenever I shopped at the thrift store, whenever I played basketball, nobody ever tried to speak about salvation. There was no salvation in that army. It was a thrift store and it was, and I'm not saying they don't do good things. They still do good things, but their mission has slipped from what it was. In fact, there was a ruling in the, in the 2000s in uh, the Salvation Army in New York, actually there was a court rulings where they got pulled into court and they were told you cannot evangelize because you receive federal funds. So they have shifted to now, we cannot be the Salvation Army, we're just an army. And interestingly, they still, I went to the website of the North Druid Hills Salvation Army Temple, where I play basketball, I went there and just check it out, and they still have an officer with a uniform and all this stuff, but they've slipped from being about salvation. This is what can happen in the church, it can happen in our lives, this is what can happen with anybody over time. It's called mission drift. We drift from the mission, but we latch onto a vision of how we were going to accomplish it, and it, that's what we're going with. And we've lost the mission. So as we look at this, how does this all translate to us? This is something. It's an interesting case study where I believe that, that for instance, Salvation Army had a very unique and effective vision for a season. It was it was a very powerful, very powerful thing. But they fell prey to mission drift, where they got off mission, even though they still were inside of some of the vision, what they had. So how does this, how does this impact us? What does this have to do with us? This morning, uh, if you look, think about vision, what we're trying to talk about vision, probably one scripture, if you're familiar with the King James Version, who can think of a, a King James scripture about vision? Anybody got one? I'm just going, this is like pop quiz. You, can, you don't have to. Somebody. This, this is group, group work. Hey, there we go. Hey, there we go. There we go. You get a sticker on your child. You get a badge for Royal Rangers. No. Uh, but without vision, the people perish. That's in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. Without vision, the people perish. Not because it's very concise and, 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 and seems very applicable to so many situations. People just take that and say, okay, so that applies to corporate. That applies to, and there's some truth to that. But truly, this is talking about a prophetic vision of God. And this is, I like how actually the message brings out this meaning a little bit clearer. The message is, is not even an actual translation. It's a paraphrase. But, but listen how, the, how it comes in the message. Proverbs 29:18. If people can't see what God is doing, this is the vision. They stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. But people can't see what God's doing, when we can't see the mission, we lose sight of, God, what is this all about? Is it about setting up chairs? Is it about coming here and putting up, make sure there's no wrinkles in the curtains and getting the cords wrapped right? And when we can't see what God's doing, we start to stumble. Like, what, God, what are you up to? We have to keep our minds on what God is doing. That's not just for the local church. That's for our own lives. We can get so caught in the grind. Every single day, go to work, pay the bills, boom, 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 because that's sometimes what reality looks like. It's a grind. If we lose sight of what God is doing, we start to stumble. But when it says here, it does say, here it is, when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. So vision is about, God, what are you showing me? What are you revealing? What is the mission? And how do I attend to that? How do I get on board with that? So let me share a few things about this. And if you have your notes, you can follow along. Vision. First blank here. Vision requires focus. God's mission is broad. It's been going on for ages. There are many moving parts. It involves an entire planet and the entire universe. How can we attend to all of this? Where do I fit in? Vision requires focus. Focus, second blank, demands elimination. We have to come to terms with the fact that, that you and I, this local church, we cannot do everything. We cannot reach everyone. We're not called, in, and, and we're not supposed to, because we can't. Sometimes we feel like, well, God, all things are possible, right? So, look, man, we're going to blow up, we're going to do this. Well, what is God calling us to? We are not called to reach the entire globe, because God has other believers, other churches, other places, and people set up to do that. But He has called us to a certain place. He has called us to do something specific, but it does require elimination. A church of thirty people cannot do what a church of two thousand can do. It just can't. It doesn't mean that one is more important than the other. It just means because of the fact of realities of life, we have to eliminate and focus in on what can we do and what should we do. Vision requires focus. If you're trying to see something, got to focus in. Focus demands elimination. Think about all the things you want to focus on. You can't focus on everything. Got to focus on one or two things. That's all I can really focus on. Number two here, or on the second big line there, it says this. An opinion... Is not vision. We live in a world full of opinions that elevates everyone's opinion about everything. In fact, I, I it's still, I get caught in this. I'll be honest. News, news articles, and then on the bottom of the news article are all the comments. Like, why do we comment on every news article? And, and you get into arguments. It, it just degrades. And people talk about this. Left. That's the world we live in. My opinion. Your opinion. I think this. You think that. Or, but opinion is not a vision. Now, opinions can sound like vision because, actually, I remember reading about this study they did where if they put everybody in a group and they do these little case studies and everybody's in kind of like a focus group, the person immediately with the, the most strong opinion is going to be seen as a leader. Well, I think we ought to okay, well, let's follow this guy. He seems like he knows something. It could be the the, the biggest moron there. But if they have an opinion, they seem like the leader, at least at first. And then it, they said over time, that changes. People are, like, oh, that guy's a moron. He just has a lot of opinions. So you got to be careful because sometimes leadership sounds like just strong opinions. Well, we need to do this. We need to do that. Okay, well, that guy's the leader because he has all his opinions. And we'll just go, but now we're here. Now we're there. Now we're everywhere. Okay, but opinion is not vision. All right. So second, vision requires understanding. Vision requires understanding. This is a, a biblical concept. This is, I'm going to give you some Hebrew concepts, church. I'm the pastor. I will give you Hebrew concepts. <laughs> the Hebrew word binah. Binah. It means understanding or discernment. Okay, this word is found very often in the wisdom books of the Old Testament. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. I don't know about Song of Songs so much, but it's in there. Binah. Understanding. Let me, give you, let me give you some examples of this. And they're, I believe they're on your page. So you already have Proverbs Proverbs 18.2 says this. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. So Scripture says the most opinionated people are not necessarily the most understanding people. It's just they're opinionated. As a church, as a human, we've got to get more understanding so we can grasp vision. We don't just need to have a stronger opinion. Now, as we grasp understanding, it may form us into a stronger opinion, but they're not one and one, they're not the same. We need understanding that can lead us into a strong direction for our life. This is what it says Proverbs twenty four, three, and four by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge, the roots are filled with precious and pleasant riches. Wisdom builds it. Or understanding establishes it. And knowledge fills it up with all it needs. Think about a church as a house. We need wisdom to know what should we do. God, give us wisdom to know what to do. We need understanding to, to latch on to the vision of how we can best reach the people God has called us to. And then we need knowledge to pull out a good game plan to do it. And we need a whole lot of other stuff, too, but that's three things. We need people jumping on board and serving, and we can go there, too. But this is important. We need these things, not just, hey, I think we ought to do this, let's just go. We We need to dig in. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we sang this this morning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. So there comes a point where we do all we can to, to gain understanding, we seek the Lord, but at the, at the same time, we don't want to lean totally on our own logic, our own wisdom, our own understanding. Because God can do things that sometimes just don't make sense. doesn't mean God's illogical, but sometimes he, he goes outside of what we think. And then maybe later, like, oh, now I see it. But the Bible tells us, oh, don't lean on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. He will give you a vision. Seek his will. God, what do you want? Not what I want. What do you want? And he will give you which path to take. And finally, Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Spears is that reverence, that seeing God in his glory, knowing who he really is. That's the beginning of getting wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The more we draw close to the Lord, the more we can start to feel what He wants, what he, what he desires, what is His leading. And this is important. So let me give you six clarifying questions, and that's that's where we'll go this morning. If we're trying to find the elements of vision in my life and in, in our church, these are important questions we can ask. So vision has a lot to do with us personally. Sometimes we can live the grind. Ah, i just get through this week, you know? I mean, I... I Again, working a ton of hours. Just got to get through, got to get to the end, and then i have a day off. Praise the Lord. Hey, that's that's human experience. I get that. I'm there sometimes too, uh, or or a lot of times. But ultimately, God doesn't want us just to live to get through the week. He wants us to live on purpose and live with vision for our lives. So here's some questions we can ask that help us gain some understanding for our lives so we can grasp the vision that God wants. Number one, who am I? This is about our gifts and our limitations. Limitations? What are you talking about? I thought, with God, all things are possible. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Just like Bill Katzmeyer, the world's strongest man, told me when I was in youth group. And he came in. And he got a hundred pound weight. And he did this with his muscles. And he lifted it up and he said, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can, build, I can do a hundred pound dumbbell. Do you know what that means? No. That's not what it means. But thank you, Bill. It was inspirational. It was awesome. You're cool. No, it doesn't mean you can do dumbbells. I don't think as much as God gives you strength, you're not going to do that 100-pound curl. It's just not going to happen. Me either. (laughs) Only Mike and maybe Chris, wherever he is, and Mike will give you... Now I'm down on the other guys. I don't care. David, (laughs) Andrew, Tom, and Tom. And Cecilia. Um... No, that's not what it means. See, God's given us gifts. He's given us talent. He's given us uh, certain characteristics about us that are unique to us. This is what the Bible says. 1 Peter 14, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. You know what that implies? You've received a gift. I don't care who you are. You feel like, man, I'm 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 a loser. No. You've received a gift. You have something to offer the world. You have something to offer the body of Christ. There is not a person that doesn't have something to offer. That's what we got to understand. You should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Not serve ourselves. Not make ourselves propped up and prideful and somebody important. But to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Matthew twenty-five fifteen says this. To one he gave Five talents to another two, to another one, each according to his ability, and he went away. Well, Jesus, that's not fair. Why'd you do that? Everybody should get five, everybody, or two and a half, or whatever the average is. That's what everybody gets. No, that's not how the world works. We all have a gift. We all have limitations. Some people have five talents. But you know what happens when you have five talents? You get judged because you had five talents. So you got more pressure on you. Some people are given more, and God says, I'm going to require more of you. I've blessed you with more. You better do something with it. Some people have one, and it can go both ways. You can have five and do something great, and like, praise the Lord. You can have one and say, That's oh, all I got. This is what the guy in the parable did. Not a big deal. I'm just going to bury it. I'm not, that, I'm not that big of a deal. Uh, yeah, you are. Because Jesus said, you know what? You could have done something with that. Maybe you wouldn't have done what this guy did, but you could have done something. In your life, in the church, don't discredit what God's given you or where you're at. Everybody has a part to play. In this church especially, everybody has a part to play. It doesn't matter if you say, well, I don't know. I don't sing. I don't, you know, I don't play an instrument. Those are not the only gifts. There's so much more that we've got to open our mind to what God can use and what he's given us. And, and we have, let's say we have limitations. 24 hours of a day, family, job, other responsibilities. We have limitations. Let's not get into this spiritualizing everything where, you know, oh God, we do everything. No, we can't. You're one human being. And as I understand it, like for me, I have four children and I have a wife that I'm responsible to. So I, I need to be a good dad, I need to be a good husband. Not always, to be honest with you, but I need to. I need to work on that. That's, that's a calling on my life that I can't just run away from because I feel like some other thing is more important. That's, that's all my life right now, that's the season I'm in. And, and marriage is gonna be until I probably die first because I'm, I'm a guy, that's just statistically. But that, that's, that's on me for, for forever. But the kids raising them, I mean, I gotta be there for them. So there's other priorities that, that gives limitations to, to what we can do. It doesn't mean we can't do anything, but we gotta recognize that. So as we look at our lives, who am I? What are my gifts, what are my limitations? You know, what, what's going on in this season of life? You know, I mean, Stephanie's been, man, she's been taking care of Jules. And that's part of the responsibility, that's part of the, the love she has for her husband. And that's there. That's what season she's in. And so that's important. She can't say, well, you know what? I'm just tired of this. You know, I'm going to go to some else." That's That's where God has her. And she's serving God by doing that. That's a powerful thing to understand. But It's not all singing and music and all this stuff in the body of Christ. We serve God by serving others. Number two, question is this. Where am I? Not only who am I, where am I? This is about our neighbors and their needs. Okay, God, where have you placed me? It's about our neighbors. And we we did a whole series on neighboring. Neighbors are not just the people on your block, although they are. So if you live in an area with people around you, now if you're in the country and there's nobody for miles, then your neighbors are pretty far away. That's a different scenario. But if you're in a proximity with others, maybe, maybe it's weird, but maybe you could get to know them, invite them over for dinner. I don't know. Whatever the, whatever would open up, whatever opportunities. But I think we've got to make an effort for the people that we live nearby, right? I mean, I'm in a cul-de-sac. There's people that I see all the time because they come out and we're all here. It's like we're all a little thing. And so maybe I should make an effort. These are my immediate neighbors. I should know them. Get to know them a little better. Uh, but we have people that are our neighbors. The Bible talks about this. Jesus, you know, he was talking about loving God loving others. There's a Pharisee, of course, who wanted to kind of get technical. Who's my neighbor? Who really is my neighbor? You know, Jesus said, "Okay, you want to go there? Um, let me expand your mind, because your neighbor is not just you know this little subset of people. It's anybody who's in need. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's in need. So, person on your job, person you work with, person that you see that's going through something. Again, within our limitations, we're not all millionaires. We can't go just start giving money to everybody because everybody's my neighbor and I'm going to take care of all their their needs. That's not how it works." But God will place people in our life that we can pray for, we can lift up, we can encourage. Maybe time to time we can do something very tangible for them. I don't know. But this is this is something we got to think about. Who are my neighbors? What are their needs? It may not be monetary, it may not be material. Maybe they have spiritual needs. Maybe they have uh, relational. They're they're lonely. That's a huge thing in America right now. Is is loneliness is, is like epic proportions. People don't have relationships. They have their phones of screens, social media, but they don't have relationships. So maybe the needs of your neighbors is an actual relationship. Hey, come over for dinner. What? People still do that? Yeah. Maybe invite somebody over. That's a huge thing that people are going through. They're just low. So we've got to think about where am I? Who's God placed in my proximity, whether it's uh, community, city, job, neighborhood, wherever it may be. Then third, this, when am I? When am I? I don't know if you had a favorite decade. Who had a favorite decade? The eighties? Nineties? Nineties. I'm with you on the nineties. Yeah. Yeah, Not that ninety. Alright. You were in a different. You were in a different nineties. Alright. Seventies. Some people. I mean, you're you're gonna date yourself with this. Oh, look, the (laughs) forties. What? Okay. Yeah. Because I read about it on Wikipedia. It was awesome. Um, but we can all have favorite times and eras, but you know what? Let me, let me tell you something very powerful this morning. It's 2018, 2018, April. That's when we are, okay? That may be startling. You may not even want to be in 2018. Like, I liked 2012. That was better. I liked 2002. That's when I got married. That was a good year. Uh, but you can't escape when you are, so we've got to come to terms with it. This is the time we live in. This is the realities of life. This is what the world looks like now. And sometimes people look back at the good old days and they go, oh man, that was so much better. Or forward, like maybe one day. But we live right now. And we have to embrace that and realize what is the vision of my life has to do with right now? This is where I am. So I can't just kind of wait for another time or look back in the good times. I have to be faithful to God in this day. 1 Chronicles 12:22. Let me share two of these scriptures, 22 and 32. Talks about David and all these men that come to him. This, this is a great passage of scripture. You can read it, talking about all the people that came to him and, and helped him during his his time that he was exiled from from Saul. There was a weird time for his life. Like, so you ever felt like you lived in a weird time? It was just like, what's going on? Like God had called him, anointed, him, he's going to be king, but now I'm living in caves and what's I don't get this time, but people came along and supported him. They were were with him. Look what it says here. It says, day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. And so then it goes on to list the next ten verses, list 200,000 20,000 from here, all these people that came. Wow, that's amazing. Then it says this I love this scripture. It says from Issachar which is one of the tribes men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with their relatives under their command. So there's thousands here, thousands there, but 200 dudes that understood this is the time we live, David. Let me me explain to you. This is where we're at. This is what we should do. That was more powerful than thousands upon thousands of people around. I think that's pretty cool to, to see people that will come together and say, you know what, this is the time we live. Have wisdom about the time I'm in. I'm not trying to... Just look back. Oh, I wish we could do it like that like we did back in the 80s. We sang those songs. We did this way. and We had this and that. We did Royal Rangers. It was awesome, you know. But what should we do now in this time? When am I? What's going on in the world today? And how can we be effective now? I, I have way too many statistics here and uh, I will not share them all. I have this book called Good Faith. I would recommend it to you. It's by... Uh, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons. Kinnaman is one of the Barna Research, he's the head of the Barna Research Group. If you heard of George Barna, uh, he's a Christian researcher, um, and I have a research bit in myself. I cannot escape. So I get into this stuff. So you bear with me. Uh, this book basically comes to the conclusion from research, from studies, that the time in which we live, people in general see Christians as two things. Irrelevant or extreme. Christianity is not the heartbeat of America. It is not a Christian nation. Were we at one point? You could argue that, but we're not. This is 2018. Now we don't feel the impact of that as much in the South. Where you know when are we? Where are we? We're in the Bible Belt, so we don't feel the impact of that. But I talked to Andrew and Lydia. They lived in Oregon. Or other places as well That's different Christians are irrelevant or extreme Over 40% of Americans Believe that when it comes to what happens In the country, this is crazy People of faith And religion are part of the problem 40%, it's 42 and 46% Are part of the problem And reject the idea that religious individuals Could be part of the solution. Four out of ten people, uh, Christians? Dude, those are the ones screwing us up. That's when we live now. It's not like, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. It's, y'all are crazy. They're messing us up. What's wrong with these people? This is scary. Eight of ten practicing Christians say religious freedom has become more restricted because some groups are actively trying to move society away from Christian values. Most people as Christians feel like, man, this is getting a little bit different feels like society, things are changing. This is the world in which we are trying to establish a church in a community, in a world that is not necessarily favorable to a church in a community. Not that there's not other ones, but they have people that go there. They already have their thing. We're trying to reach people that don't go to church, right? And so if people that don't go to church say, man, Christians are irrelevant and extreme and weird and crazy, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. 75% 75% of U.S. adults agree that a person can live a pretty good and decent life without being a Christian. Three out of four. I can be fine without that. So the sense of need, like I need something more in my life, sometimes it's not there. In affluent communities, which part of Lexington is, not all of Lexington, part of Lexington is, is affluent. and has resources, but there's this sense of, you know, I'm good, paying the bills, fine, go to the lake, but, there, I mean, there's many more that are not in that. But we can all, this is what people are saying. I can live a good life. I don't need Jesus. I need a church. I don't feel any like moral compulsion to go attend church or pay tithes or all that stuff. That's crazy. Over half of Americans believe that all the charitable work that is happening in the world would carry on as usual if Christians were removed. We don't need Christians to make this world a better place. We don't need Jesus in our life, we don't need church. This is the people that we are trying to reach. When are we? We're not in 1960. We're in 2018, it's it's a little bit more challenging. In fact, let's move to the extreme thing. 75% of Americans believe that being religiously extreme is a threat to society, and nine out of 10 of those with no faith affiliation believe this is a huge threat to our society. Being religiously extreme, if people with no faith affiliation, nine out of 10 say, that's a big problem for America. And we think of 9-11. But then there's, watch, watch this. 60% of Americans, this includes Christians, believe it is extremist to try to convert someone to your faith. That's why we don't have a Salvation Army. That's extremist. Why would you convert somebody? That's crazy. Leave everybody alone. You do you, I do me. This is the world we live in. You try to push too hard, man, That's extreme. Are you trying to make me like you? I'm unique, I'm different, I'm myself. This is what the author's writing this book. Many people are gravitating toward a contrived centrist position that says everything will be okay if none of us hold too tightly to any particular belief. Ironically, this contrived center is itself becoming an ideology as people grip more and more tightly to it and call people tugging on the ends, extremists. So if you just stop being, trying to get me to become a Christian, we all just kind of get along. We all have peace in the world. If you stop believing all that stuff about Jesus, stop believing, you know, people go to hell. What's that? People don't go to hell? Man, that's, that's hate. You hate people, right? That's the world we live in. If we all just come together and say, everybody's okay, everything's fine. everybody's doing good. Shh. Don't really realize there's problems and people are struggling. Let's not look at that. Everything's fine, all right? That, the problem is you because you're trying to say people aren't fine. That, you're the problem. That's the world we live in. People think Christians are extreme because we hold to biblical beliefs. In fact, we're at a point. Over half of people in America believe that if you hold to a traditional view of marriage, that that is extremist. We're. 20 years ago, that was the majority opinion. It wasn't extremists, that's what everybody thought. Now 20 years later, that's extremists. It's not just, oh, that's your opinion. I have my opinion, you have yours. But my opinion's right and you're an extremist. They say this, the society we live in has not only moved away from the Christian worldview, it's become actively antagonistic toward those who seek to advance faith. That's the point. If you don't try to advance faith, you just have your own personal, private, quiet thing. We'll leave you alone, but don't bring any of that mess into the real world because we don't want to hear it. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do what we want to feel. We feel good. Feel great. That's how we live our life. And so the author—I I got more, but we'll, we'll leave it that The authors talk about how we've lost a shared center in our in our society. We're becoming more and more fragmented, and that's why we see so much more division because we don't have a shared center anymore. We have this faction, this group, these people, we believe in this, we're over here, we don't have any sort of central agreement about what they used to call Judeo-Christian values, or the Bible being a helpful book. There's so much, in fact, if you look at millennials and young people who are trying to reach, one out of four millennials, there's people that usually qualify them being born from 1984 to sometime in like 2000. One one of four, four non Christian millennials believe the Bible is a dangerous book of religious dogma that's been used for centuries to oppress people. Young people, the Bible is, is, is just out there to oppress people. It's not just like, I don't really care about that, whatever. But one out of four, like, man, that's, that's dangerous. All that stuff, man, that's what messes people up. So this is the world we live in. This is, this is I'll be honest, it's a little discouraging, right? But in the midst of this, there's opportunities. In the midst of this, we have a God that's bigger than that. In the midst of this, we're a church, a Pentecostal church that believes that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world and at work in us. I'm not saying other churches don't believe that, but it's certainly not emphasized. Most other churches are stuck with, that are non- Spirit-filled, are stuck with, well, the Bible. Which is true. We believe the Bible just like they do, but that's Well, the Bible says, and if people say, no, the Bible's uh, oppressive, well, good luck reaching them. We also believe that, yes, the Bible is true, but the Spirit of God can touch your life. God can show up in your world and make a difference. You've got to remember that. When you're in the world with people that are are antagonistic, we believe that God himself, by his Spirit, can minister and touch anybody and reach out to their heart. And we can pray for people in that way. We can we can believe that for people, and God will do that. It's not just convincing people through logic, convincing people through, well, this scripture says this. Well, I don't care about scripture. Well, why would I say that? But we believe that God is at work, and we believe that the Spirit is at work, and so all is not lost. But we are in a time, uh, number four, how will I? With opportunities and challenges. Opportunities and challenges. Even when it looks bleak, there are great opportunities. Sometimes the greatest opportunities are when it looks the worst. Sometimes that's the time when God makes his biggest move in the world is when things are looking the darkest. We have to remember that. In your life, when things are are, are down, there's opportunities. Yes, there may be challenges, but there's opportunities. In our church, we look at what we're doing. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes we're like, man, well, if we just had this, then we could do that. But you know what? We have opportunities as we are. Yes, we have challenges, but we have to embrace the opportunities that God's given us. And number five, in all of this, we have to remember, but God, what is God saying? And what is my calling? I think an example of this is is Nehemiah. We studied Nehemiah a while ago, but Nehemiah could have said, who am I? I'm no builder. I'm no wall builder. I'm a cup bearer. So I can't can't build a wall. Who am I? I I'm not qualified. He could have said, Where am I? Well, I'm at Persia. I'm not in Jerusalem. So,
1: there you go, scratch that.
0: He could have said, When am I? Well, I'm 150 years after this wall was torn down. What does it mean now we're going to do it? This is so late. This is just a random time. Why would we rebuild the wall now? He could have said, How will I? I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure how this is even going to happen. He could have said all those questions, which I believe are good questions, only if you add this last one, but God. What does God say? So sometimes the questions don't add up, but God is saying, and God is moving on your heart, and God is giving you a calling and a purpose that doesn't make complete sense. It doesn't doesn't seem to fit all of these questions. God can give a calling and a burden on your heart that is is driving you toward a vision. Often this is where the vision comes from. God says, you know what, yes, maybe this, maybe not that, but you know what, I'm calling you to do this. I'm going to equip you because I'm calling you. So the... The but God. What is God saying? What is my calling? This is so important. We need a sense of God's calling. Sometimes that takes time. Nehemiah took time to let that marinate in his life. He didn't immediately go to the king. Remember that. He just, he waited, he prayed, he worked through it. Sometimes it takes time to get to that vision and get it out there and get it moving. I know sometimes whether your personality is kind of that driven personality, you want to chop in the bit and just get it done. Let's go do it. Like, how are we going to build this church? How are we going to get it done? Let's go today, and then we will get it all done. And that'd be great, but sometimes it takes time. It takes time to get understanding, It takes time to get that clarity and to move forward in what God's saying. It doesn't mean that God's not up to something, but God is, is working in that time to let that vision sink in and, and to become something of depth. So finally this, with whom will I? This mission is not a solo adventure. We can think of our lives as individuals because that's what our society kind of frames it as. But a spiritual life is a life of community. It's a life of togetherness. It's a life of, of, of commitment in a faith community. So with whom will I is a, great, is a great question to ask as we look at our church and look as individuals. What are my gifts? What are my callings? What can I do? Where is my faith community? How can I knit myself into this to be most effective for God's kingdom? For his mission. I'm grateful for each one of you that is on this adventure together with us. I'm grateful for each one of you guys. I know be honest with you, in, in our human nature, it might be easier for some people just say, you know what? The church down the road, they have great music and they have a slide for the kids' ministry, and they go into the balls and they're playing, and it's so cool. And there's all these sort of things that many other churches do and have that in our own human nature might be more attractive. But I believe something that we can get in this setting is something you can't get in in that setting. As we realize that God, you're, you're working in us. You're doing something new. You're doing something fresh. And you're going to use me. That you're calling us to reach this community. That you're calling us to reach people that are lost. That don't know Christ. People that are in in peril this is you're calling us to do this we're not called to go sit enjoy enjoy our church experience that was beautiful lovely it's great going with my life we're called to be a part of god's mission we're on the front lines of that and so this is a, a unique opportunity i was talking to a buddy of mine this week and we were talking because he was a youth pastor i was a youth pastor we're just talking about that and he's a pastor in in the area and he said you know what? we decided at one point, we were going we to just close down our youth ministry. Because that vision is not effective right now. We're not closing down ministry to youth, but the way we do a youth group, we're, just, we're not going to do it. Because it doesn't work. So that's where vision and mission. We still minister to youth. We still disciple youth. We still lift them up in the life of the church but we're not doing the youth group thing because it wasn't working. But this is where, as a church, we have to have understanding. Can't get locked into this, well, this is what we always did, this is how it has to look. So he was talking about that, and he was saying, you know what, in your church, I was telling him, you know, my, man, you we know, we got a few youth, my, my kids are kind of getting there, and we have you know, several, but we don't, have, we don't have a youth ministry. He's like, you know what, truly, and he grew up in a church plant, so he was kind of encouraging me. He said, truly, my siblings in a church plant are, are all active in the church today because they served and they were on the front lines and they saw the importance of it and they weren't just catered to and oh wow this is a nice little thing for me but they said you know I have to do something here to make this work and so you know your youth are probably in a better situation than a lot of other churches because they are involved in serving and that's truly what ties people into the church is their involvement in serving that's what keeps people going is you know I'm needed here I gotta do something, I'm a part of this vision. If, if I don't pick up the slack, then we're gonna, we're gonna limp along. And so, it's stuff that I, even as a pastor, even as someone who's been in ministry, I gotta remind myself and be reminded of all, all the time. That God is at work, this is different for me, this is different for you, but God is doing something. And we gotta latch on to his mission Get a sense of vision for what can we do? We can't do everything, but what should we do to reach the people who need Jesus in this community? I'm going to leave it at that for this week. Next week we're going to look at some I guess some more specifics about our church and maybe about the upcoming plan. And I'll be honest with you. I don't have it all planned out. I wish I did, because I've talked with Mike and others. If you have clarity This is boom, 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 people are like, yes, let's do it. But I'm not, I'm a person that's like skeptical. So in my leadership, I don't always get 100 percent clarity. I'm like, eh, maybe. I know I got, I know that's not good for people following because, like, what are we doing? What's the plan? You know? But God is is moving in me, He's helping me, He's leading me. And I I want us all to be on board with this. But as I was preparing, I don't want to just throw out opinions, like, oh, I guess we could say this. And then we change it, then we change it, and change it. I want us to get some understanding about a deeper sense. Of God, what are you calling us to do? That we have a really deep sense that this is God's mission, and we are a part of this, and it's driving us. And all the things that we're going to have to probably put up with and deal with and this and that will not be as, as challenging because we have a sense of mission, and we're on God's mission. So let's bow our heads, David, if, if you, and, uh, you and Darrell come. I guess for a conclusion and for a response and to really let this solidify in our heart, let's think through these clarifying questions. Who am I? Think about your own life. Who am I? What are my gifts? What are my limitations right now? But what is, is, how's God wired me? How can I serve? How can I get on board with the mission? Where am I? Where has God placed me? On my job? Are there people that are not believers? On in my in my neighborhood or, or where I live? My family? Where has God placed me? Why has he put me here? And not somewhere else? How can I make a difference there? When am I? Am I trying to live in the past? Am I living ages ago just Wishing for those times or waiting for something in the future. Or by saying, oh God, you, here I am. This is the world in which we live. Lord, equip me, equip me by your spirit to be effective. Show me what to do, give me the words to say because I don't know what to say. I don't know how to interact with some certain people. So are we praying for God's help? Are we asking for the spirit to equip us? The Bible says that he will. He'll give us, he'll give us the answer when people ask about the hope that we have. will. We need to ask, Lord, help me to know what to say, how to to minister, how to to be in someone's life and be an encouragement. It's becoming more and more challenging these days. How will I? What are the opportunities in front of me? What are these opportunities? What challenges are there? But how can God step through that? What is God saying? What, What is the calling on my life? I believe God has called all of us to some degree it's not all necessarily to professional ministry, if that's even a thing. <laughs> We're all ministers. Some have a calling to be a pastor, some are missionaries, some are evangelists, some are teachers, some are. There's a whole list of gifts within the scriptures that, that we can operate within. So let's pray together and let's sing let's this as we conclude.